I love its combination of like Europeanness and punk. It's like, see, I, I find Berlin to be very expressive, and I just like the amount of space that I have and people have here to be who they are and to make the things they want to make. So um, I can write all day in a cafe where maybe it's grey outside, but there's a little candle on the table which is very cheering to warm my hands around and I can oh I just love people sit by the canal and drink their beers and then they leave their <laughs> beer bottles there and somebody else comes along and picks them up and recycles them it's a, it's a great system I love Berlin <laughs> how could you not I love that yeah. it's great they all stand, the, the bottles all stand around the edge of the bins and everybody's so neat and respectful about it and they, it's a kindness to leave your bottle really because someone who needs the money more will come and get five or twenty cents for it depending on the bottle yeah many mm-hmm. homeless people make it's, their well, living out of it I guess not in some o- yeah ways. And, and not only homeless people but punks Berlin has I've never seen this before punks who obviously became punk in 76 and just have never gone back and now they're 56 or 60 years old and their hair is thinning and gray but they're still drying it green and they've got these like long holes where the safety pin's been there for decades and they're just committed and they're like Dayak women. They're yeah. off the grid, I would imagine. Mm. Yes. These are the people who live in Friedrichshain in the housing projects and who are just never going to integrate in, in the way that German society would like everyone to integrate and obey be good workers. Yeah, yes. obey the rules. They're they not, and they probably don't have Facebook pages. Yeah, and it's wonderful that Berlin provides a, a home and a community. Yeah. Yeah. Something I notice about those guys as well is a lot of them have dogs and I've never seen one of those dogs head shy or underfed. There's one little dog around our area called Schnitzel and I know his name because he's always running away and the woman's running after him going, Schnitzel! <laughs> and he is a little grey scruffy little guy and he has this green quiff and it just breaks my heart to think that she and her boyfriend go down to the apotheca and they go, well, it's time to re-dye our hair. She gets her purple and he gets his green and then they sit and comb the green into Schnitzel's hair and do a little quiff for him every six weeks. It's beautiful. Aww. It's really beautiful pack behaviour. He's a punk. He's a punk dog. Got to have green hair. Because that's the uniform. Yeah, as we, we know, all know without a key. Berlin is like dogs better than they like people. And they're bikes. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. That's another story. Back to Facebook and blogging. Oh, there's a Facebook page actually of um, called Berlin Dogs Waiting Patiently Outside Shops or something oh. like that where people post photos of these little dogs forlornly gazing. Is he ever coming back? He's come back the last 500 times. Maybe this time he's going out the back door and I'm abandoned. Mm. Gee whiz, you can tell you're a writer, can't yes. you? Yes, oh. your your lovely sense of observation. Thank you. So we have in front of us here a copy of oh, your my book. Your book, Comb the Sky with Satellites. It's still a wilderness. I notice from the writing in here that you you value simplicity. The ideas are clear like water. How did you come over your many years of poetry writing to such simplicity? I imagine that's not an easy place to get to. Um, I find it. Thank you. I find it the hardest place to get to. I tend to write very complexly and it takes me many, many drafts to whack things back into a, some kind of lucidity because first I want to pack everything in there and I just let let myself flow. You know, your first draft is just a wild child making marks in the sand or something and then and then look back at it with a cool mind going, hang on a minute, that's not how you spell epiphany. You know, and then you, that's when you kind of start beating it back. It's out of a desire to do the ideas justice and the reader to do to be respectful to the reader and to the ideas, I guess. If they're really resonant, true thoughts, they I feel they should be able... I guess a bit like how a really good expert with a grasp of a subject can, can explain things fairly simply. Mm. 
um, because they, they're really at home there. And I feel like if I'm really at home in these ideas, if these are emotionally resonant and emotionally honest in the way that I see the world, then I should be able to express them as clearly as I can. And people have actually, readers have said, which is gratifying, yeah. that you can read my poetry if you don't think that you like poetry or you're not a reader of poetry. You should be able to pick it up and just enjoy it. It's got such a bad rap poetry. Oh, yeah. We need some sense of poetics in our daily life to get through this world, I think. Yeah. But just taking taking the line of poetry and then translating that to the digital world, because you're a writer of prose, your prose is very poetic also, but you're a blogger now. Yeah. You are ostensibly also, you can add that to your CV, you're, you're a blogger, you have that discipline of writing regularly True. and you publish it online and you have a core group of followers which mm-hmm. is building. Mm-hmm. Has well, What was the transition like kind of from paper to screen or paper or um, to, to pixels? I made that transition through Facebook when Facebook was still – was first gaining, gaining traction amongst people that I knew, like 2009, 2010, mm. and everybody was very protective of their privacy and people were always talking about their settings and, set, and, and things being changed behind our backs and how we couldn't trust Facebook. And I made a decision then that I didn't trust this website or this phenomenon one little scrap and that anything I put online would be – I was publishing. So I set everything to public – way back then and decided that I'm just putting uh, ideas into the wild. And mm, and I started brave, writing... courageous. Oh, thank you. I started writing uh, and at the same time I noticed this um, uh, auteur or you could call it like avatar phenomenon arising where people had a kind of curated version of themselves. So it was just a bit cooler, a bit hipper, a bit less emotional or something than their actual self. Went to a few more parties, yeah, spent yeah. a few bit less time sitting on the couch going, what am I doing with my life, that kind of stuff. <laughs> And I knew that I was doing all of those things. So I wanted Mm. to resist that and be Mm. really frank across the whole breadth of my life. So I made a kind of practice and I used to call it my Facebook practice to myself in those days to kind of try and learn to be, to teach myself to be brave enough to be authentic, yeah, yeah, openly and and vulnerable and uh, uncoordinated and untogether as well. Very interesting, I think, because I think there is a, a gap. There is a, a tangible gap between what is really you and what you're actually putting out there and yeah. what you want, would, that conditional of what you would like people to think you are, that performance. It's a performance space yeah. ostensibly. Yeah. So, yeah. Do we, so do we have to practice authenticity Clearly, Online? yes, clearly maybe we do. I mean, obviously everyone leaves stuff out that they don't want people to know, but that's just privacy. That's, yeah. you're right. Yeah. But uh, this kind of very almost too perfect filed off edges version of yourself pops up quite a lot doesn't it when people are spending a lot of time online well yeah. like they say you you the problem with that is that you're seeing everybody else's show reel and you're experiencing <laughs> your own blooper reel you know and so it just seems it just everybody else always seems like they have it together and you always would end up feeling like you're a hopeless mess <laughs> and and it's just not it's not true and when you ask those people they always have some form of imposter syndrome or they think oh, gosh, I, I, what about this other person is so much cooler than me, like actors who want to be singers and singers who want to be models or whatever. And I, I don't, curious, isn't I don't it? think it's a good place for us to all spend our lives in, mm. the, in, the, in the lack of if only I had curly hair instead of this beautiful straight hair or something. It, it, why not enjoy what and you have? And also not interacting with real people yeah. in real it's life. It's so lonely. It, it's, it is. Anyway, back to yeah. writing. <laughs> no, 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 that's yeah. Fine. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting because... I, I I feel that you're quite a private person yes. in some ways, but you manage to create this really vivid, intense debate space on your Facebook page. So this idea for me that you 
are against a, a sort of a curated online life and that you wanted to throw these ideas out into the wild mm. in this very public mm. way, you've done something which I find fascinating. You've used your personal Facebook page to create a really vivid debate forum. How do you go moderating that? How do you choose which ideas to throw out and how do you, how do you deal with the debate as it takes place on your page? Well, I use House of Love as my blog for that as well, just to, for the same purpose. And how I handle it is as though it were a dinner party, I suppose, or a discussion around my kitchen table, that I wouldn't mm. allow people to be unkind to each other. I wouldn't allow them to disrespect and insult each other and use labels and names and stuff. But I would allow someone who has what seem to me really strange ideas or, or maybe unacceptable ideas or inhospitable ideas to express themselves as long as they're respectful and courteous they are here and they have the right to be heard and 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 that's where you learn from is people who you don't agree with mm. you know or who who have a different way I want to understand why I, it seems to me we're stuck you know it seems to me we're in this large interlocking um, state of crisis on every front you know water quality air quality elections war refugees everything is is in is in flux right now and I think one of the biggest reasons for that is we're not we haven't figured out how to be emotionally honest in this new world, how to be emotionally honest amongst strangers, how to be really true to ourselves. Because when you allow the feeling in of how does it feel, for example, for other species to start disappearing am amongst us and that we end up on this planet kind of unpopulated, looking at each other in an empty room going, who, who are you? And all the furry, scaly, slimy guys have gone. That's so lonely and unbearable. As soon as you let that feeling in, you can't go on with that behaviour. You can't tolerate it one more second. It's only by staying in the curated self and pretending to ourselves or being too busy to reflect about how we feel. Yeah, and not wanting to talk to each other. Yeah. How many people have phone calls between each other these days? Yeah, well, How yeah. many people just communicate? Or, or avoid answering it, actually. Yeah, or text or like that, the art of hearing a voice. That yeah, that's true. Too. Yeah. And so even yeah. through the mediated, through the written and electronic flickering form, like mm. on Twitter or Facebook or on a blog, uh, I, I find it really important. They're the people that I almost most want to listen to is the people who are saying things that I find really hard to swallow mm. because that I want to understand why. Courage. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Well, with somebody who, who might get labelled racist, for example, I've found that by engaging with people like that and by, by, by keeping everybody else back, you know, and not letting them be mobbed mm. and bullied for their beliefs, you can allow them to bring out why they feel that way, which is they even if the feelings they end up with aren't that useful socially to us all, they still have good reason for feeling that way, fear and fear of change and, and maybe a kind of sense of attachment to that which they know, which I think if you look at that broadly, if we have no sense of attachment to that which we know, we might as well give up here and move to Jupiter, I mean, and live in a space station. You know, we need to love our home. We need to defend our borders, our 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 little pocket psychic of air borders. that we have, our psychic borders personally, but also globally, our little pocket of breathable air and our our little earth, that's all that we know. So, yeah, I think those unallowable ideas are very important. Our very thoughtful guest right now that you're listening to on Three Wicked Women is Cathwell Jers, and she is a Val Berliner, like the goodly Sam and myself, which means she is a Berliner by choice. She's been here for several years. She's from Brisbane. She's Australian <laughs> and she's a writer. A guest that we had on the show recently, Sandra Sarala, a poet, uh, said that she is not the mistress of her pieces, her, her writing, but the pieces tell her what they want, where they want to go. Is that your experience of writing? I, I know what Sandra means by that. What I do experience is that when that's kind of how I know that a 
poem, for example, is finished. Because I'm a poet, I've been writing poetry primarily since I was nine or ten, I guess. I don't think I'd probably seen any poetry when I first started writing it, so it was really innate in me. And the poems that I published, like in Comb the Sky, go through maybe 30 or 40 drafts, like real rewrites. And when I know it's finished, it's kind of, it becomes like it's like a nut that you can knock on and it'll ring. And it feels almost like it's not mine anymore. And sometimes with old poems that I've forgotten writing, I'll find them on my hard drive or in a notebook on the back of an envelope and go, did I write that? Did I copy that from somewhere? Because they don't feel, it's like I can't see the inner workings anymore. It's got this intact wholeness. It's now become itself in a way is how I experience it. Um, Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't feel as mine. Is that how you feel, Sam, when you finish a song? I I go through sort of two phases, one where the song will come through pretty intact, where I feel, as Tom Waits said, um, that I'm a radio and then I've tuned into the station and it's and I've received it, and songs that I have to work at over a long time. The, usually I'll have a block of text comes out and often that'll either be the chorus or that'll be the first verse and then the trick for me is to match subsequent verses to the to the rhythm and the feeling of that first verse which is the hard work um but you know when it's done I know when it's done Mm. speaking of songwriting you are also a musician yeah um with a lovely sultry voice thank you and you are working on a big project this year so you released online an album called hey big splendor that's right can you tell us about the the origins of that album it was songs that I had written over a long period and I got the opportunity to go to New York and record them. So what happened was I I was living in Melbourne. Have you noticed there's a status ladder in Berlin, by the way, with Wahl Berliners from Australia? I was thinking that a minute ago. (laughs) That if you say, someone says, where are you from? And if I choose to say I'm from Brisbane because that's where my parents live and I went to high school, they'll go, oh. (laughs) But if I say, which is true, I was born in Melbourne, they go, oh. (laughs) And if you would say I'm from the Gold Coast, oh. (laughs) I had this disappointment. Yeah, (laughs) disapproval even. I had this wonderful conversation with an Australian woman who works over in Prenzlauerberg at a a venue there and I noticed in her German accent that she kind of, that she didn't sound German and I was like, oh, so woher kommen Sie? And she's like, oh, I come from Australia. And I'm like, oh, so where do you come from? And she said, oh, it's pretty embarrassing. (laughs) And I went, it couldn't be more embarrassing than where I'm from. And she's like, oh, Canberra? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, the Gold Coast? She's like, you win. You win. <laughs> really? ka <laughs> well, Let's um, get back to your music. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah. Sorry, let me tell <laughs> you about that. Okay, so I, I was living in Melbourne and I, I started um, going to jazz clubs and recruiting these kind of jazz cats off the stage. Like I would just go up to the muffins and go, I really love your drumming. You know, maybe if I could afford you, would you like to come and record with me? And I took them all into this recording studio and sang them my songs, which pretty much no one had heard at that point, and said, just go for it. And they improvised and, and made these. And so I took those recordings to New York with me and recorded with a group of about 20, I think it's 28 musicians. So there's Tenzin Chogyal, the Tibetan Drangyan player and singer who came on one of the songs and... And so what I, what I wanted to do was handle each of the songs on its own terms. So it doesn't have – it has a story arc and it has a philosophical trajectory as a song cycle, but it, they don't all have the same sound and some of them I think are pretty much folk, you know, with this almost Appalachian mm. guy playing uh, mandolin and um, a woman who plays a saw who I met on the subway. Um, mm. And then some of them are – jazz with these jazz guys and some of them one where I 
I couldn't find backing vocalists for love or money and I finally went out into the street and these gorgeous dudes were leaning on the corner and they went, hey, baby, and I said, I need backing vocalists. Can you come? And they came in with me and that was where. So it sort of came together <laughs> in this way. What an impossibly gorgeous story. Thank you. Hey, and yeah. that's why I call yeah. and it was it was true to the vision of what I wanted and what I continue what I still want. I call it Cathwheel and the new government because I figure, geez, as long as it's different from the old government, <laughs> um, firstly. <laughs> and secondly, aren't we all members of the new government? Aren't we all stewards here? Aren't we all needing to step up and take responsibility for something that we personally feel passionate about, whether it's a song or an aspect of the world? Now, we will wind up. Yes. Uh we, we usually wind up our interviews, don't we, Sam, mm-hmm. with one very special question to ask all of our wicked women. And you are one now, officially, you are a wicked <laughs> woman, <coven>. Cathwheel. <laughs> well, it depends. We had one um, woman who certainly took the wicked as to mean witch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wicked women. Yes, wicked women. But no, we are wicked. Well, wicker wicked women woven d- out of... <laughs> Even out of dry grasses <laughs> and rustling. The wicker man, Edward yeah. Woodward, no, no. Um, but Sam it's like has... farting in a bath, Edward Woodward. <laughs> Edward Woodward. Well, people of a certain age listening to this will know exactly the film that we are re- referencing. It's got cult status. Anyway, back to the wicked womenness of, yes. uh, of this moment. Sam has one final question for you. Could you please nominate a significant uh, wicked woman... Yeah, Dale Spender, baby. She's an Australian academic and feminist. She wrote a book called Man-Made Language where she hid in the cloisters of her university with a tape recorder and recorded (laughs) hours of people's conversations between a man and a woman. And she used different status differences like male professor, female student, female professor, male student to implode forever the idea that women talk more than men. What she found was not only that men, broken down by minutes, did about something like 80% of the talking, but that most of what the women contributed was what she calls housekeeping. So that's when you go, oh, really? That must have been fascinating. And then what (laughs) happened? That kind of housework, she calls it. Hmm. She looks at supposedly parallel male and female terms like Lord, God and lady keeps her legs together, is married to a lord and and shows the differences in status. So I find her fascinating. Well, high five you. Thanks. (laughs) That's pretty spectacular. I'm loving this, Sam, because our wicked women are introducing us to all sorts of wicked women that I've never heard of. So uh, thank you very much for introducing us to... Dale Spender. Dale Spender. I I would like to start putting some of these wicked women up on our Facebook page. And we will. And if you would like to find out more about Cathwheel Jersey's Amazing work in words and song. You can visit her blog, houseoflovers.com. She also has a writer page on Facebook, which is Cathwheel Joseph. And we will spell it because it has a particular spelling. C-A-T-H-O-E-L is her first name, Cathwheel. And Jers is spelt J-O-R-S-S. And, yeah, you have a writer page, don't you? Mm, I do. I've got a Cathwheel and the New Government page, a Cathwheel Jers page and a House of Lovers page for my my tiny boutique publishing house slash jazz imprint labels slash blog slash way I see the world yeah the mosaic thereof (laughs) well go and like it and thank you so much for your time today it was a great pleasure talking to you thanks you too thanks for inviting me you're so welcome